So today we are continuing a series called Beyond These Walls. And we've been in this series for a couple weeks and we're talking about what does it mean to be a church. And we've been talking about how even that word church has multiple meanings. It has multiple definitions. And sometimes when we think about church, we think it's describing a building or an event. But as we've been discovering earlier in this series, the word church in the New Testament does not mean a building or event. In fact, the word they use is ecclesia, which describes an assembly of people gathered for a common purpose. And so right now, even as we are back to joining uh, together online only, it even is a reminder that as a community of faith, we are not defined by the building that we inhabit. In fact, we're a community of faith that goes beyond that. And so when we talk about this, this ecclesia, and we talk about what is this common purpose that draws us together. And so earlier on in the series, we talked about how part of that common purpose is the mission that Christ gave the church, the mission to make disciples of all the, all the nations, to teach people to obey um, Jesus's commands so that we can live in relationship with him, to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there's other things that draw us together and hold us together with this common purpose as a community of faith. And so today we're going to talk about one more of those things that holds us together as a community of faith. And then next week we're going to wrap up the series by looking at another piece that we have in common that holds us together as a community of faith. And so to begin with this message today, we're going to go to the last evening that Jesus had with his disciples. And so Jesus had spent three years traveling with a group of people, with his disciples who were there to learn from him. And on his last evening together, the last supper before Jesus is going to be arrested and put on trial, Jesus is trying to give his disciples a message and kind of to teach them, here's what to expect for your future. Jesus is trying to kind of take this last evening that he has and give them all kind of this final teaching, final instructions to prepare them for what would happen next. Because at the end of this evening, late at night, Jesus is going to be arrested. He gets put on trial. And the next day, he gets executed by the Roman authorities at the request of the Jewish religious leaders and kind of to prevent a riot breaking out amongst the crowd, Jesus sacrifices himself. And the disciples are left scattered. They're left wondering, what do we do now? But some of them would have remembered something that Jesus said just, you know, 12 to 20 hours earlier. Jesus, at the end of his last evening together with his disciples, before they left the city and went to the Mount of Olives for Jesus to pray, Jesus told his disciples this. He said, but the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. And so Jesus is telling them they're going to be scattered, but I don't think he's just talking about the disciples in that moment. I think he's talking about the church as a whole and about his followers and what they would experience in the future. Because if we go to the next verse, Jesus tells them this. He continues and he says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And what Jesus is telling them in this moment is that the mission that he is sending them on, the purpose that he has given to tell people about God's love for them, to tell people about the relationship that God desires to have with all of us, this is not an easy 
task. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard. There will be many trials and sorrows, but don't be overcome by that because he adds this last line. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And so what Jesus is telling his disciples is that no matter what problems or difficulties they encounter, Jesus will not abandon them. Just as he said in the first part of that, that he is not alone because the Father is with him. And earlier in that evening, you might remember from one of our previous message series that Jesus talked to his disciples about how he would give them the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would be, was with them now and later would be within them to guide them and remind them that they weren't alone. And so no matter what they were going to face, no matter what trials and difficulties and sorrows would happen, Jesus was encouraging them to remember that they would not be alone, that Jesus has overcome the world. But what do we do when we feel like those trials and sorrows and the, the realities of life are just too difficult to handle? Knowing that Jesus is with us is sometimes harder or easier to understand than feeling and recognizing and living that Jesus is with us at all times. We may know that intellectually, but to live that out in our lives is often much harder. And so what do we do when we're looking for that? When we're looking for that connection with Christ, when we're looking for that connection that draws us together as a community of faith. And so I want to rewind the clock about three years to the beginning of Jesus' ministry and I want to look at, at uh, someone in the Gospels who kind of embodies this and teaches us more about what this means to have this, this relationship with Christ and this hope in Jesus. And so if we go all the way back to the very beginning of the Gospels, there's four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to kind of jump around between three of them as the, the different parts of this story are told in different Gospels and kind of pull them together to get the big picture. But before Jesus was born, God sent someone else first. God sent John the Baptist to come and be a messenger and to tell the people about Jesus, to tell the people that the Messiah was coming. Now, this John the Baptist is separate from John the, the disciple who wrote the Gospel of John. But when the Gospel of John was written by John the disciple, he began it with this kind of prologue, this story to set up the story. And in it, he describes John the Baptist this way. And so this is from John 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world." And so John the Baptist has this important task of telling people that the light of the world is coming, that the Messiah, this promised anointed one that their scriptures foretold about, is coming into the world and that this is going to change everything. And so John the Baptist was born about six months before Jesus to a relative of Mary and when John the Baptist started his ministry, uh, he lived in the wilderness outside the cities. It says he wore clothes made of camel's hair and he ate locusts and honey. And he was in many ways a prophet. And the people regarded him as a prophet. And he looked like this is like one of the prophets of old. And so John started teaching and telling people about the Messiah. And then he started calling people to repent from their current way of life and to rededicate and reposition their lives in their relationship with God. 
And John the Baptist got the name the Baptist because he encouraged people to be baptized as a sign of this inner change in their lives, that as they were turning from their current way of life and rededicating their lives to follow God and to look for this promised Messiah, they would be baptized. And then one day at the start of Jesus's ministry, Jesus comes to John the Baptist and John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and is a witness to the Holy Spirit coming and descending on Jesus like we talked about last week when we talked about spiritual gifts. But John the Baptist continued his ministry after Jesus started his. John the Baptist kept telling people about Jesus, kept telling people about the Messiah. But John the Baptist also spoke boldly against the religious and political leaders of the day. He was not afraid to call out the corruption and the iniquities and the issues that were happening in their world, in their time period. And what usually happens when you speak the truth to religious and political leaders is they get upset. And so one of the things that John the Baptist started speaking out against something that the ruler of the area of Galilee did that was wrong, John started speaking out about this, and it caused him to get thrown into prison. And so we're going to pick this up by jumping over to the Gospel of Matthew. And it says this, So for Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife Herodias, who was the former wife of Herod's brother. Now, this is Herod Antipas, not Herod the Great from earlier on in the Gospels that we hear about when we talk about the birth of Jesus. But Herod had essentially married his, his, wife's, or his brother's wife. And John spoke out about this and said that, they were, that this was against God's law. It says John had spoke out saying, it is against God's law for you to marry her. And Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. And so John the Baptist, who has this ministry of telling people about Jesus, about telling people about the Messiah arriving, he speaks out against Herod's sin. He speaks out against the injustice and the corruption of the temple leaders and the Pharisees, and he gets thrown in prison, and they want to kill him but they don't because they recognize that if we kill him, the people will say that we killed one of God's prophets. So Herod is stuck in a, or John is stuck in one of Herod's prison cells, unable to do what God sent him to do. But John the Baptist still had his disciples and his disciples were still coming to him and they were telling him about what Jesus was doing. And so at one of these times when John the Baptist's disciples have come to him and they're telling reports of, oh, this is what Jesus is doing, this is what he's teaching, this is what's going on, John gives them a question. It says this in Luke 7, verse 18 to 19, it says, the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else. Now this question reveals something about John the Baptist's mental state and the turmoil that he is facing because he is in prison. He is not able to do the ministry that he thought he was you know, going to do for his whole life. And he asks his disciples, go to Jesus and say, are you really the Messiah? Or should we be looking for someone else? John is experiencing a deep level of doubt uh, I would even say that this is a loss of hope and a loss of the bigger picture of what God is doing as he is stuck in prison. And what I think might be feeding into this 
is that John the Baptist's current circumstances don't match his expectations of what would happen when the Messiah arrived. Maybe he had this image in his mind about this is what it's going to be like when the Messiah is here, and here is John stuck in prison. And so John's two disciples find Jesus and they ask him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? And so Jesus has this question posed to him by John the Baptist's disciples, are you really the Messiah? And Luke tells us this detail of what was happening at the moment when these two disciples from John the Baptist come to Jesus to ask this question. It says, at that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Luke includes this detail to make us realize that Jesus is doing these things, that there is stuff happening that is evidence of God's kingdom being made real here on this earth. And so then Jesus replies to John's disciples. He says this, he says, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Now, Jesus doesn't just say, well, yes, obviously I'm the Messiah. He doesn't say, you know, just directly answer the question. Instead, he answers by saying to the disciples, look around at what's happening. Look around at what you see in the midst of where you are right now, and then take the report of that back to John. Jesus doesn't rebuke John for the question. John is experiencing a deep level of doubt in this moment, and Jesus does not rebuke him for doubting. Instead, Jesus meets him in his doubt by saying, look at what's happening. Look and see the evidence that the good news is being preached to the poor. That the things that you spoke about, the things that you told people the Messiah would do, are happening. And I think Jesus' response to John the Baptist is something that we need to remind ourselves of sometimes. Because part of being in a community of faith, part of being a church assembly, a body of believers, is recognizing that every one of us will have times when we need someone's help to see what God is doing in our lives. Times when we need someone else to remind us of what God is doing in their life, what God is doing around the world, what God is doing in our midst. Even sometimes we don't recognize what God is doing in our own lives until someone else recognizes it and calls it out for us. That's why we talk about being a community of faith is something where we rely on one another, where we rely on one another to help us see what God is doing. And so when Jesus responds to John the Baptist's question, he points him to the bigger picture of what God is doing to build his kingdom. Jesus points the disciples to say, look around. What you talked about, what John the Baptist talked about is happening now. People are being healed. People are being set free. People are hearing the gospel preached, the good news that God loves them, that God has come into the world to make a new relationship, a new path open to salvation through Jesus Christ. And when we look at Scripture as a whole, as we look at the bigger picture, the bigger narrative that surrounds the Gospels, that goes right from the, the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament, right through the Gospels, through the New Testament, through the book of Acts, through the, the letters of the early church, and even to the book of Revelation, 
Throughout all of scripture, there is a bigger narrative of God's plan for the world. No matter what happens in this world, scripture constantly tells us God succeeds in the end. And this is common if you look at any of the Old Testament prophets. They'll tell the people, look, it is difficult right now. Everything is falling apart. The people are going back into exile again. And the prophets say, but look ahead. God is still doing something. God still has a plan for the remnant to return and for a new shoot to be born from the tree of Israel. And then in the New Testament, we see um, the different, the book of Acts and in the letters, each time the authors are reminding people of what God is still yet to do. And then the book of Revelation, a book that is so steeped in metaphor that we really have to have a pretty deep understanding of the political um, situation of the first century to start to unpack and unravel these metaphors and imagery that's used. But at the end of Revelation, it is a picture of a city that is ruled by God where the people live with God, where the gates of the city are never shut, where there is no night, there is no darkness. It is this picture of God wins in the end. And so no matter what we're experiencing right now, sometimes we need a reminder of that, that God still wins in the end. And so when Jesus tells John the Baptist disciples, just tell John what you've seen here, he's telling them, go and tell John that they witnessed some of the first fruit, some of the first evidence some of the pieces that point to this bigger reality that God is moving the world towards. See, it's difficult sometimes to look long range. It's difficult to make long-term plans, and we have all learned that uh, to an even greater degree over this past year. But our view of the future shapes how we see the world today. When we understand and recognize that God will win in the end, that what God is leading us to, towards, what God is leading the world and his church, not just talking about us as the local church, but all followers of Christ throughout the whole world form the larger universal church, that what God is doing in his church is moving towards this eventual reality where God wins. But oftentimes, we're like John in that prison cell. And our current circumstances don't match what we see when we look at what God is doing in Scripture. We look at that end picture and we say, well, I don't see any of that happening now. But when we recognize and remember that God's plan will be achieved, no matter what's happening in our world right now, that can give us hope in our current circumstances. When we have hope in what God is doing that means we understand that what God is leading and working us towards is something better than our current reality, is something better than what we experience right now. That hope gives us the strength to endure whatever our current circumstances are right now. And that hope, that community of hope, to be people of hope that share hope with one another, that is what it means to be part of an ecclesia. That as a local gathering of the, uh, the assembly with a common purpose, as part of that local gathering, our role and responsibility is to share hope with one another, to point to one another about what God is doing in our lives, about the bigger picture of what God is doing on a, on a, on a worldwide global scale. 
and even when we can't see it, to recognize that our scriptures proclaim and have promises that are not yet fulfilled that God wins in the end. And so I want to take us to one of those letters written by one of the apostles. And so Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and then later on the disciples all got kind of retitled into apostles as they began the ministry of carrying the message of Jesus throughout the world. And Peter, later on in his life, he writes this letter that was meant to be circulated to a grouping of churches. And he begins this letter with this declaration. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a declaration of hope. He says, we have hope in God's mercy Because we have been born again, we have been given new life as followers of Jesus. And we have evidence of that because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And he carries on, he says this next, he says, Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. That is how he frames this letter. That is how he starts this letter that is meant to encourage followers of Jesus who are being persecuted for their faith. Followers of Jesus who are being looked down on, that are being cast out of the synagogues, that are being treated awfully because this, the world didn't know how to handle this Jesus movement at the beginning. And so, as typical, when we don't understand something, we typically respond with fear. That is human nature. And Peter is reminding them, hold fast to your faith because we have this priceless inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled. Now, Peter writes these words. Peter writes these words of hope and encouragement. But Peter himself knew that he was going to face a lot of difficulties. In fact, at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus tells Peter that at the end of his life, he will be led where he does not want to go. And we know this through church tradition and through history and through the historians that wrote about the first century, is that Peter was martyred for his faith. He was crucified on a cross, and because he made this comment that he did not feel worthy to share the same death as Jesus, they crucified Peter upside down on a cross. Peter died in a gruesome and horrific way, but he still held to this hope that what God was doing was bigger than Peter. That what God was doing was bigger than his current circumstances, that was bigger than whatever difficulty he was facing. Because Peter understood this, that as part of the ecclesia, as part of Jesus's assembly that has a common purpose, part of that role is to lean into the hope that we have in Jesus and to share that hope with everyone who needs it. Hope is something that is contagious in a good way when we are around people who are hopeful, when we are encouraged by the hope they have for the future, we can't help but feel a bit of hope start to grow in us. And so even when we may feel disconnected and isolated and alone, we can remind ourselves that we can have hope in what God is doing on a bigger and grander scale. And like Peter, we may never see that with our eyes on this side of earth. We may never experience that firsthand, that hope, but that is the hope that has endured the church for centuries and millennium. And that is the hope that will continue to help the church endure until the time when Jesus does return. And so that leads us to a question. 
When we look at how Jesus responded to John the Baptist's wavering and diminishing hope, he responded by saying, look at the evidence around. Where are you finding hope? Where are you looking for this bigger picture of what God is doing? And can we lean into that? And so for us today, there's a couple questions that maybe we need to wrestle with. We can ask ourselves, where do we find hope? What are the things that encourage us and help us see the hope that we have in Christ? And if we think about us as a local gathering of the church, as a local body of Christ, are we as Grand Valley Church known as a place where people can find hope? Are we known as a place where we share hope freely with one another? And maybe if we say the question that is, I don't know, what are the things that maybe we need to lean into? How can we share hope with one another? Just this week, uh, I got to have a conversation with someone who was, who was wrestling with some of their, their doubts and questions about faith. And as we sat and we talked, um, distanced apart from each other, um, as we talked about this, what this meant, it was so encouraging to me and it was, I believe it was encouraging to the person I was talking with as well that we shared some of the same doubts, that we had wrestled through the similar questions at different points in our lives. And, and I was able to share from my experience. And I was actually found myself encouraged with more hope just by hearing someone else's questions and wrestling through some portions of Scripture together. See, that is what it means to be part of a body of Christ, that we wrestle with things together that we point each other to the evidence we see of God working in our midst so that as a community of faith, our hope strengthens and builds one another up. So this week, what are we going to do to share hope? What are we going to do to connect with someone by phone or video? Uh, what are we going to do to be able to encourage someone with a piece of hope that comes from Scripture? That with the peace of hope that comes from Christ being active in our lives, from the Holy Spirit empowering us. Maybe it's a verse of scripture. Maybe it's an experience. Maybe it's just sitting with some questions and wrestling with them together. Because in all of those things, we become a people known by our hope. So let me just wrap up with a word of prayer. God, we thank you that you are the source of our hope that our hope in this bigger picture of what you are doing uh, is not reliant upon our hands, but it is reliant upon you working in the world. And we get this unique privilege of being your partners, of working with you in realizing and achieving that hope. And so God, as a community of faith, as we may feel scattered and alone, may we remember that you have overcome the world, that you have overcome every difficulty, every trial, every situation, that you are in the midst of that with us. And so, Lord, would we be faithful expressions of your hope to those around us. In your name we pray, amen. Folks, thank you for joining us online. Uh, next week, we are going to wrap up this series about the church called Beyond These Walls. So I hope you'll plan uh, to join us live uh, next Sunday at 11 o'clock or catch the service on demand later. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time.